Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, Julie, new song. It's awesome. Um, I absolutely love to talk about revival. Who likes to talk about revival? Who wants to see unprecedented revival in our country? Um, It's one of the the greatest joys just to be a part of what God is doing on the earth, to be partnered with God, right? And I love the idea of a church being unified under the authority of Jesus. I say we're arm in arm under his authority. I have this dream that this generation, and when I say generation, I'm not talking about millennials. I'm talking about the people alive on the earth today, a full generation. (laughs) This generation would be a fully persuaded generation of signs and wonders and miracles of God, that we would believe God for who he says he is and that we would walk that way, a church that would love the world to Jesus, that we would learn what love really is. We would bring racial and gender and denominational and generational reconciliation And that's some of the things that I've talked about in my book, Zero Gravity. But today I want to talk about one key that I believe is totally foundational to seeing a fully persuaded faith in people and revival, unprecedented revival that's sustained. Because revival normally hasn't throughout history been sustained. And I believe that this is the key to sustaining it. And in one word, it's covenant. Now, let's be honest. As a generation, again, an entire generation, we are not people who are as maybe comfortable with commitment as maybe generations past. Commitment is a thing that, you know, when we tire of something, we just trade it in. (laughs) New cars. Um, whatever that might be, if we're not entertained anymore, we just kind of move on to the next greatest thing. Um, If we get tired in a relationship or if we get offended, come on somebody, if we get offended, we just kind of run from that relationship because it's not kind of gone our way. So the Lord (laughs) is is a God of commitment. And let's be honest, we may not be of commitment, but God is. And he says that, Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are committed or loyal to him. This is important to the Lord. Um, Mary Haas, I want to tell you about a lady named Mary Haas. She miraculously was healed of an incurable disease, muscular dystrophy. How many of you have heard of muscular dystrophy? You know that it's incurable, but God healed her. And then later, it came back with a vengeance. And Mary quickly made the small little agreement that, well, she must have done something wrong, or God, um, maybe she was just going to have to live with this for the rest of her life. And from a hopeless, dark place, Mary cried out to the Lord 
And he told her, he answered her, and he said, start walking around in your swimming pool every day. And she did out of obedience. And in those times in her swimming pool, the Lord began to speak to her. And the Holy Spirit began to download her with revelations about healing and things about the importance of the blood of Jesus and the importance of the word of God. And she began to learn to align herself with the truth rather than the lie that she was supposed to stay sick. She began to align herself with the truth of the power of the blood of Jesus over her sickness to heal her. And as a result, she was a fully persuaded woman that God could and would heal her. And guess what happened? She was healed again, fully. She was at a place where she couldn't walk and now she's walking. She wrote a book about it. She's sharing it. She's teaching with it. All the revelations that God shared with her. God is looking for a people like that. He's looking for a people sold out to him in prayer and fasting and worship and weeping and wailing. Sold out to forgiveness. Sold out to humility. Sold out and deeply committed to the heart of God. He's looking for David's and Abraham's. He's looking for Esther's and Deborah's. These were men and women who totally understand covenant with God. They, were under, they understood the love that God had for them in that covenant. They understood the goodness of God, but they also understood that he's a holy God, that he's a just God, and that he's a sovereign God. They understood these things. So what is covenant? Covenant is merely making a promise, an agreement, a pledge, or a guarantee. Okay? God is all about promises, engagements, guarantees, and, pro and, and agreements. He's all about commitment. The Bible is a love story. How many of you know that the Bible's a love story from front to back? The full counsel of the word of God is one big love story. But it's also one big covenant story. Love is a commitment. Love is a choice. How many of you have had to decide to love people sometimes? Decide to love your spouse, you know? Decide to love your children because you want to wring their necks sometimes. Well, God's probably felt that way about us, but he chose to love us. <laughs> it's a commitment. It's a choice. God is love personified in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the author of the greatest love story the world has ever known in the pages of the Bible. So why, do, I'm going to look at Abraham's covenant with God just for a minute. And why am I focusing in and honing in on Abraham's covenant? Because Romans 4.21, of all the people in the Old Testament, Romans highlights Abraham and he says, Abraham was fully persuaded. He was a fully persuaded man of God, fully persuaded that God was true to his promise. Fully means entirely, it means wholly and thoroughly and outrightly and utterly and absolutely, and here's my favorite, intimately. 
intimately persuaded means he knew God. He was intimately persuaded, convinced, assured of who God was and the agreement that God had made would stand. So typically in in these times, back in Abraham's time and maybe even times before, because he understood what covenant looked like, um, there was an agreement made, number one. Number two, there was bloodshed over the covenant or over the promise. Number three, there was an exchanging of coats. And when you exchanged coats with the other person, what you were doing is you were saying what now What belongs to you is now mine, and what is mine is now yours. So there was an exchanging of coats. There was also an exchanging of weapons. Have you all ever seen movies where Indians were making covenants and they exchanged their bows and, I don't know. Anyway, that. They exchanged their weapons. And what they were saying is, your strength is now my strength. And your Enemies are now my enemies. (laughs) And then there was this pronouncement over the covenant of blessings and curses. And basically what they were saying is if you break this, if you break this vow, you die. That was the curse. And then there was a seal over the covenant. You know how when we go and we write up papers and legal documents to buy a house or whatever, we have to have a notary and they seal the paper with a stamp? That's what happened. Sometimes they would do it with blood and a handshake or sometimes they would do it with a ring, um, depending on the time and history. But they would seal, they would seal the covenant. And then there was an exchanging of names And then there was an exchanging of a meal. And it basically they sat down to dinner together to seal the deal. Okay? And this happened with God and Abraham. God says, Abraham, you're going to have, you see the stars, you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. You're going to bless, you're going to be blessed to be a blessing. You are going to have a son out of your body, and Abraham was like 100 or something, 99 or something like that. And he said, Lord, are you sure about that? (laughs) Are you, you know, and he questioned a little bit. And he also said, you're going to have all this land, and and Abraham just could not get his mind wrapped around it. So the Lord said, Abraham, get a heifer, get a ram, And he listed these animals. And Abraham knew immediately what that meant. Because he knew the custom. And he knew covenant. And he knew the Lord was saying, prepare for a covenant. And kill the animals. Split them in two as they would customarily do. Line them up. And in in the middle of the line of the, the two halves, Customarily, there would be um, a path of blood. And one party would walk from one end, and one party would walk from the other end, and they would meet in the middle, and in the center of that place, in the path of blood, was a holy place. It was holy ground. And Abraham knew this was what God was saying to do, so he did it, and then he waited. I love what... um, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. 
Brandy, Brandy said earlier that it's sometimes waiting doesn't mean no. In the scripture, if you read Genesis 15 and you read that entire passage there, you'll see this whole story laid out. And I don't have time this morning to read the whole thing to you. But it says that as Abraham waited, there was, there was a time where there were vultures trying to come and eat the carcasses of the meat that he had prepared. And he was shooing off these vultures. And I, I see that, I mean, I can just go all kinds of places with that because in my mind that's like a picture of warfare. That's like a picture of getting rid of the things that are trying to devour. And um, anyway, he waited he waited. And it didn't mean, that he, because he was having to wait, did not mean God was not covenanting. Yeah. That God had not promised and that he was faithful to complete it. But he waited and God showed up and it says in Genesis 15, 17, when the sun had gone down and a, and a deep darkness had come. A deep darkness had come in the darkest hour. How many of you know what it's like to be in a dark place? When the darkness had come, there appeared a smoking brazier and a flaming torch, and it passed through between the divided pieces. It passed through on its own. Abraham wasn't even required to walk and meet God. It was, it was not even dependent upon Abraham. It was dependent upon God. God walked through. And God was saying, if I break my promise, I will die. If I break my promise, but he was not going to break his promise. Because what do we know about God? We know that God cannot lie and he cannot die. He can do neither. And Abraham knew that. He swore against his own name because there was no name greater than the name of God. And he swore against himself that what he had said to Abraham, he would accomplish. This was a promise to Abraham of inheritance. Inheritance. There are other covenants in the Bible. We see Mosaic covenant where um, there was a priestly anointing and where people had to bring animals to sacrifice for their sins. And there were all these different covenants, but this is the one the Lord had me highlight. It says in Romans 4, 20, and I'm going to read to 23, maybe 24. Um, it says, yet he, Abraham, did not waver through the unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. I also want to mention a guy in the Bible that sometimes gets overlooked, but it, maybe not, maybe not in Sunday school. Um, Daniel, he was a man fully persuaded. 
Daniel was committed to God. He was thrown into Babylon. He and a bunch of young men who were handsome and smart were thrown into Babylon, which some would compare to an American culture, a Babylonian culture, kind of like a worldview type of thing. Um, their culture was very different. They worshipped idols there. They uh, did things very different than the way Daniel had been accustomed. He, he worshipped the God of Abraham. And, but Daniel was determined when he was thrown into this place that he would not defile himself. He had an undefiled commitment to the Lord. He understood covenant. He understood that God was who he said he was and that he was who he God said he was. He knew this. So he went in and he wouldn't eat from the king's table. And he made some choices that were just a little different. He would go to his bedroom. He would face towards Jerusalem. And he would pray three times a day to the God of Abraham. He was covenanted in his heart to God. And even though he was in this foreign land, and even though he was asked to do things, the enemy, his whole the, the, the scheme of the enemy in Daniel's life was to steal his identity, to rob him of who God said he was. But that did not happen. Daniel went there. He, he, he positioned his heart in alignment with God and the truth of God and who God said he was and not who they called him... The king named Daniel Belteshazzar or something like that. I don't know if I said it right. Anyway, he got this, this, this otherworldly name. Um, but Daniel kept his focus on the Lord. He was a man of covenant and of promise and of commitment. He was undefiled by the culture. He was undefiled by the worldliness there and the idol worship. He was a man of consistent prayer. He was a man of repentance. He stood in the gap for his people. He said, God, forgive us. Forgive us that we have turned our backs on you. Forgive us. Forgive Israel, O Lord. His heart was postured towards God. And he understood the love and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. And then when he stood in that lion's den, when he got thrown into the lion's den because he was bowing down to God, his God, and not worshiping the gods of that country, guess what happened? The lion's mouths were shut. He was favored. He was raised up. He was used to interpret dreams that only someone connected to the to the one and only God could interpret. And Daniel was used of God. And really, because of the way he, he had his heart postured to God, no matter what, no matter what came at him, it changed the course of a place. I mean, even the king was mentioned last week. King Nebuchadnezzar was changed as a result of Daniel's yes to God. So, we are in covenant with God. And through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, it is called a new covenant now. And what does this new covenant look like? And what does it mean for us? Well, let's just talk through it. So there's a promise that's been made and Jesus fulfilled the promise. 
There's a robe of righteousness that we wear now as a result of exchanging robes with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. We have authority now because there's a robe over us that God has given us. As children of God, we are robed. And I can go into prayer boldly and I can decree and I can declare in Jesus' name and what Jesus did on the cross that this is how this situation is going to look because I am calling it forth from heaven. This is my inheritance. The weapons of God are now my weapons. My enemies are now God's enemies. My battles are now God's battles. And what Jesus did on the cross sealed that deal. So when I go into battle, now I know I'm not going in alone. I'm going with God. The God of the universe enters my battles with me. His victory is now my victory. What he did on the cross, he was victorious over death and sin. And now I can stand in a place of victory. I can know that in the middle of my battles, I am victorious already because Jesus already won. His name is now my name. I am named after Jesus. I'm identified as a child of God. Galatians tells me this, and Galatians 3.29 says that we are now heirs according to the promise. We are heirs. We are children of God. It tells me also, well, every curse has been broken. And because of what Jesus did, There's been a justice and a recompense on behalf of me and on behalf of you. And it's not dependent on me being good enough. God is faithful when I'm not. Thank God. Because I'm not always faithful. To those who are covenanted to the Lord, to those who are fully and intimately persuaded. Eyes fixed on him. Not on all the garbage on Jesus. That, those are the ones, his justice and his recompense. The lion of the tribe of Judah has roared on your behalf. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. He's betrothed to us forever. We are entering into a marriage supper of the Lamb. With the King of Kings. We are the bride of Christ. He sent the Holy Spirit as that seal. Ephesians 1, 13 tells us this. Or 14. The Spirit is the guarantee. The first installment. The pledge. The foretaste of our inheritance. It's the seal. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And what that tells me is that the seal was like the ring. So I think of that as being like 
It says that it was the seal of a, it was like a, a, a guarantee that there was more to come, which means it's like, a, it's like an engagement ring. We've been engaged and betrothed to Jesus by the seal and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we try to do anything apart from the Holy Spirit, we're not going to make it far. We get the bucket and the water confused. Great messages and great worship and great buildings are all fine and good. But if we get it without what goes inside the bucket, without the presence of God, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, then we are just empty vessels just trying to do something without God. And it's pointless. It's pointless. And then the eighth thing that happens with Jesus is that we get to enter into an intimate relationship with the God of all flesh. Why? Because we sit down to dinner to seal the deal, right? Intimacy with the Lord is what we get to have. We get to sit down with the meal himself. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Anyone who eats of this bread will live. We are covenanted to life. We're covenanted to the bread of life. And we get to sit down and dine with him in Revelation. There's an invitation and he says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in. And I'll dine with him and he with me. We can be intimately acquainted and persuaded people of God. He wants to dine with us. So if I belong to God and you belong to God, that means we belong to each other. And then if we understand belonging on that level, there should never, ever be room for insecurity, jealousy, gossip, anger, division. None of those things have room where we know we belong. We take care of one another when we belong to each other. Your battles are now my battles. If I'm suffering, now you're suffering with me because we belong to each other. This is what true unity in the bride looks like, but it only comes from a place of unity with God. Are you fully persuaded? Are you persuaded that the enemies of sickness Premature death, depression, division in your family, the unforgiveness maybe that's crept into your heart, that job interview that you're afraid of. Are you fully persuaded that those enemies in your life are the enemies of God and that he came to give peace to those situations, to give joy to those situations, to give healing to those situations. And it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with the fact that he cannot lie and he cannot die and he's a God of promise. 
Are we setting our gaze on the things of Babylon? Or are we setting our gaze on Jesus? Are we setting our gaze on him? Are we like Daniel, willing to just humble ourselves and say, God, forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive me for being angry. Forgive me for being bitter. Forgive me for unforgiveness in my heart. Forgive me for sitting on the sidelines thinking that somebody's going to one-up me and being so insecure I can't see straight. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Forgive me for agreeing with fear. Forgive me with any agreements I've ever made with the enemy. And please, God, fix my gaze on you. Reset my attentions on you. Turn me back to my first love. Jesus, forgive us. If we really get this, we will wake up, church. If we really, really understand this, we will never fear evil. We will know that God is with us. We will wake up and we will talk and we will walk and we will behave and we will pray like we mean it. We will pray like we know who God is and who he says we are. And we will take authority over our situations in prayer and in the name of Jesus. We will understand then, if we get this, that we are loved and that we are forgiven and that we are made free in the sight of God because of covenant and that we are on the winning team. So God, thank you for that. And I pray that you would just prepare our hearts right now for a time of getting with you, aligning ourselves with you, releasing the people we need to release, understanding how free we are in you, Lord, and not agreeing with the spirit of condemnation that tries to tell us we're not good enough or that your promises are never going to happen for us because we did something wrong. No. Align our hearts, Lord, with the truth. Align our hearts, Lord, with the forgiveness and the security and the joy that comes from you. And if there's someone here today who does not know Jesus as their Savior and they want to be on the winning team and they want to be covenanted and in intimacy with a God who died for them, saved them from everything, wiped their slate clean, if you want that and you've never, ever stepped into that, as we close our eyes now, if you'll just raise your hand, I will pray with you. And you can have boldness and assurance when you pray. You can have salvation and the assurance that when you die, you will see Jesus face to face. You'll be in heaven. If that's you, raise your hand. And then maybe you're here and you just need to get things right in your heart with the Lord. Or just receive the truth that he loves you. Either way, there are going to be some people up here to pray. Um, if you don't want to pray with a person, you can just come up here and kneel in this altar. We'll use this altar. 
and you just meet with God. Lord, we love you. We praise you now.